with that, let's, uh, let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we will continue in our study through the book of Romans. Romans chapter 8. About uh, 15, 16 years ago, when I was brand new in the ministry, uh, I was called uh, to the hospital. Um, a member of our church was there. Uh, her name was Jackie. And Jackie was a young gal in her early 20s. Uh, she'd married her high school sweetheart, and she had, uh, she had two small kids. And, uh, and the family just got devastating news, and they called me down, and, and I, I got there as quickly as I could. And, and I was shocked. I came in the room, and I hadn't seen Jackie in, in a while, and, and she was yellow. Her skin was yellow. Her eyes, the whites of her eyes were yellow. And, and um, she was diagnosed with liver cancer. And um, liver cancer is hideous. It, uh, it's got like a 99.9% fatality rate. It's, it's a brutal disease. And, and so she was diagnosed with liver cancer and they gave her weeks to live. That was her prognosis. And I mean, it just hit her like a ton of bricks. And, and I, I get there, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a brand new pastor. And, um, and there she is. She's in the room with her family. Everyone's sobbing. She's got these kids, these two kids, and they're like under five, both of them. And, and I'm like, what do you say? What do you say to somebody who's in that situation? And uh, I'm just, you know, praying, Lord, what, what can I possibly say to Jackie at this time in her life? The Lord took me to Romans chapter 8. And I took Jackie by the hand and in tears we just read together that we're the children of God. It tells us in Romans chapter 8 that we can call God the Father. Abba, it's an Aramaic term, means Daddy. We have this level of intimacy with the Lord. We read in Romans chapter 8 together that we're joint heirs with Christ. That we know we're joint heirs when we share in His sufferings. And we read that we're saved in this hope that, that God will deliver us just as he delivered Jesus. We read here in Romans chapter 8 that, that God, through his Holy Spirit, he meets us in our place of weakness and that he intercedes for us in prayer. And there we are. And, and again, just sobbing and it just high emotion. And, and, and just what do you say? You can't even form, you can't put words together. Now, how do, how do we pray? I'm reading through Romans chapter 8, and Romans chapter 8 tells us the Spirit of God helps you to pray. That he, he gives you words that, that you just can't consciously think of, but the Spirit of God knows the heart of God, and, and, and the Spirit of God prompts us to pray, that He leads us to pray. More than that, we, we read there that not only does the Spirit of God help us to pray in our weakness, but that Jesus Himself is praying for us right now at the right hand of the throne of God. And, and so they're in that place of devastation, just knowing that Jesus is praying for us. Reading here in Romans chapter 8 that, that in all things God works together for good to those that love Him and are the called according to His purpose. And Christians butcher this all the time. They say, oh, all things are good. No, all things aren't good. And Jackie's cancer is this hideous thing. She's, she's got weeks to live. She's got two babies. It's a hideous, that's a horrible thing. 
Romans chapter 8 tells us that that God is is bigger than the cancer that's going to destroy her life. That, that, That... he can use even this hideous, horrible thing that, that came into the world as a result of sin and, and Satan rebelling against God and that rebellion uh, spilling out to mankind as Satan corrupted this perfect creation of God and Satan's intention for you is to kill and to steal and to, 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 steal and to destroy. And, and yet in the midst of that, and now Jackie's body being ravaged by the devastating work of Satan continuing through God's creation. And yet God's bigger than that. He can work all things together. For good, and that's me as a brand new pastor. I I can't tell her anything that's going to bring her hope. I can't like kind of figure out how we're going to put some sort of a, a positive spin on this, or how we're going to sort of you know I'm going to encourage her with some sort of an inspiring word that I can sum up. I was able to meet her in that place in Romans chapter eight. That God knows us, we read in Romans chapter 8, that He's predestined us for heaven, that we have a future and a hope, even though the doctor's prognosis is horrible. Romans chapter 8, giving this encouraging word that God has predestined us for heaven, that this world is not all there is, that there is more to this, and that there's nothing on earth, not even death, that can separate us from His love. This is the word that God gave me for Jackie that day. Romans chapter 8 is our shelter from the storm of life. It's our oasis in the desert. It's our hope in desperate times. And, and I want to ask you today, as we go through this, to, you know, to just answer the question, what is it you're struggling with today? What is it that has you down or discouraged today? What is it today that you're fearful of or disappointed in or depressed by or worried about? What is it that's weighing you down? Your rescue is found here in Romans chapter 8. We saw last week as we began Romans chapter 8 that Romans 8 is a crescendo. Uh, Paul has been building the case that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin is death. But he's bringing us to the place where the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And he's driving home the point that the answer to our struggles isn't to wave the white flag of surrender and give in to our sin. And it's not to to go to the opposite extreme and to become a a God squad Christian and try in our own strength through our own white knuckle efforts to sort of engineer our own way into heaven. But he's, he's bringing us to this place where we discover that our answer is found in the grace of God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. Zechariah 4.6 says this, that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And so by way of outline here, Romans chapter 8, what we, what we read, what we discover is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Then we see there's no consternation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're going to look at that together today. We conclude by seeing that there's no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're also going to look at that today. We dealt with no condemnation last week. If you weren't here, you can listen to the message online. But we left off in verse 14. And in verse 14 we read this. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You can call the God of the universe, Daddy. This is what we've received through Christ. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. That is, as we surrender our life to the Lordship of Christ, we become children of God and heirs to the promises of God. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Verse 24, For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Again, Paul here, he's articulating the truth that in Christ there's no consternation. Now, uh, the dictionary defines consternation this way. You might be going, consternation, what what is that? Here's the the definition of the word, here's why I use it. The definition of consternation uh, is this. Feelings of anxiety or dismay, typically at something unexpected. Consternation is the perfect word to describe this section, this middle section of Romans chapter 8. Because the fact of the matter is that life is filled with things that we don't expect, isn't it? I mean, you know, you can be, I'm a type A guy. I like planning things out and I like, you know, just, I like nothing better than when my plans come together. Like the A-team. Nothing better than when a plan comes together. That's me. And there's nothing worse than when my plans don't come together. Yeah, my nickname as a, as a kid was Taz, you know, because I would get angry. Tasmanian Devil. All my friends called me Taz. And, um, and they used to just like to wind me up and watch me go, you know. And <laughs> just push all my buttons. Uh, and uh, fire departments like that. They find out your weakness and they start pushing on it. My nickname in the fire department was Trigger for hair trigger temper. So, you know, you get a glimpse into my personality. When things don't go my way, I get mad. Uh, <laughs> And, and so and the Lord just delights to show me that it's not about me and it's not about my plans, right? And, and so the, the fact is that, you know, life, as I said, it's filled with things we don't expect. We lose a job, we get an illness, we have a, a spouse who maybe is unfaithful to us or has betrayed us in some way, we have a wayward child. I mean, fill in the blanks. There's all sorts of things that happen in life that weren't what we were expecting. And the natural reaction when that happens to us is that we experience consternation, feelings of anxiety or dismay, Right? The amazing truth of Romans chapter 8, the amazing truth that Paul is articulating to us is that when the Spirit of God is leading us, we don't have that consternation. 
We don't have to have those feelings of anxiety, those feelings of dismay in our trials, because we can rest in the certain truth that God is sovereign. Let me explain it to you this way. Uh, when I was younger, before Brenda and I got married, I had a roommate. His name was Greg. And uh, Greg was like, you know, a buck 35 soaking wet. He weighed like 135 pounds. And he decided he was going to go to the gym. And he started going to the gym and he hired a personal trainer. And the guy just went through this transformation before my very eyes. He went from a buck 35 to like a buck 85. And he was all, you know, just muscular. And, and I'm like, I want me some of that. I want to. I want to. I want that. And so I, I went up to Greg one day. I'm like, dude, uh, whatever you're doing is working for you. Would you train me? I mean, he spent all the dough to, you know, my motto. If it's free, it's for me. I didn't want to pay his trainer, but I asked him. You know, hey. <laughs> so will you train me? Greg's like, yeah, I'll train you. So uh, so he starts training me. And. Uh, you know, you get, you're familiar with the saying, no pain, no gain? And I was too familiar with that. I thought I was. And I came home after the first day, and I was dying, man. I mean, the guy just, and I thought something was wrong. I'm like, I'm, I'm complaining, and I'm like, dude, you killed me. There's something, you did, you did something wrong. And, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, by definition, I had feelings of anxiety and I was greatly dismayed. I was experiencing consternation. See, because intellectually I understood no pain, no gain, but I really didn't understand the physiology of what it means to work out. You know, I I understood, oh yeah, no pain, no gain, but I, I really didn't understand it. And so when I started going through it, I had feelings of anxiety. I had feelings of dismay. Dude, there's something wrong with what you're telling me. He's like, dude, there is nothing wrong with what I'm telling you. See, because here's the physiology of weight training. It's, it, it's called catabolism and anabolism, okay? The way your body works. Catabolism, it, it's a Greek word. Literally, it means to throw down or to tear down. And so what happens is that as you exercise, as you push those weights and do those sit-ups and do, you know, the curls and the, the chest, everything, what happens is you're actually damaging, destroying, throwing down, tearing down the muscles. This is the catabolism process. And so the pain that you're experiencing is right and appropriate because you're tearing your body down. So you work out and you're just you're tearing down these muscles. You're throwing them down. Now, conversely, after you tear it down, after, after catabolism takes place, now anabolism starts to take place. Anabolism, again, another Greek word, it means literally to throw up, which is a kind of a convenient term because that's what you feel like doing at that point. But, but it's, it's this building up that, that is, is taking place. Your body, as you destroy it, now your body begins to rebuild itself. And as anabolism takes place, that's how your muscles are formed. So when you work out in the gym, you're, you're tearing it down. When you sleep at night and when you wake up the next morning and you're in agonizing pain, that's when the rebuilding is taking place. 
Now, here's what's significant about this. God says that he reveals himself to us in his creation. All throughout creation, you see these evidences and these, these examples of God. You see these spiritual truths manifested in physical form. So in our physical bodies, we see how when, when our body is torn down, how the building up that takes place is beneficial. Spiritually speaking, it's the exact same way. That we have to endure spiritually catabolism and anabolism if we're going to grow. We have to experience the tearing down, the damaging, the, the destruction. And, and what causes that is suffering. So we, we have these suffering, these trials, these, the, the things we suffer through in life, and we want to do everything we can to avoid it. That's why most of us here don't go to the gym. So I don't want to go through catabolism. I don't want to go through suffering. Why would I want to do that? Well, because, you know, if you want to look good, no pain, no gain. Spiritually speaking, the same thing. Suffering tears down our flesh, the old man. And subsequently, the new man is built up. And see, the thing is, we're repeatedly reminded in Scripture that this is normal and needful in our lives. That's, there's a reason why God repeatedly reminds us in Scripture, because we, our sinful nature, thinks that when we go through trials, when we go through hardship, when we go through suffering, that there's something wrong. Everything in us wants to avoid that. But God reminds us over and over again that this is normal and it's needful. Let me share a few scriptures with you toward that end. Philippians 1.29, and I venture to say that this scripture is not underlined or highlighted in your Bible. Here's what it says. It says, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. How many of that is your life verse? You, 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 you committed that to memory. Yes, that's a promise of God. It is. It's not a promise that we often quote, hey, it's been granted to me to suffer for his sake. Yes. No, we don't. Second <laughs> Timothy 3.12, another verse that's probably not highlighted in your Bible. It says this, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Can I get an amen? No, because we don't like that verse. But it's there. 1 Peter 2.20 and 21. I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation because I think it's sort of says it a little clearer. 1 Peter 2, 20, 21, If you suffer for doing right and are patient beneath the blows, God is pleased with you. This suffering is all part of what God has called you to. Christ who suffered for you is your example. Follow in his steps. And, and so God allows us to endure trials, to suffer, to be thrown down for the purpose of building up our new nature. So when I lose my job or I lose my house or I suffer some sort of an illness or I, I have some sort of other suffering that God has allowed in my life, as a Christian, I need to remember that God is throwing me down, tearing me down in order to build me up, to, 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 to tear down my flesh, to build me up spiritually. But what is it that happens to us when God allows trial to come into our lives. What is it that happens to us when we go through times of suffering? What, what are we tempted to do? We're tempted to run. We're tempted to avoid it. We're tempted to fight against it. We're tempted to doubt, like I doubted Greg. Dude, something's wrong. And see, that's, that's the thing. If we're not careful, we can go through times of trial. Time. Now, 
I don't mean to be masochistic about this. And, I, and I'm not saying that, you know, we, we need to enjoy the process. But what I am saying is that a lot of times when we go through times of suffering, we allow Satan to lie to us and say, run from that. There's something wrong with that. Don't, don't yield to that. And we don't stop and appreciate, well, wait a minute, God is sovereign and this is needful in my life. This is beneficial, no pain, no gain. This is catabolism so that animal, animalism spiritually can take place. But I want you to notice there, again, in verse 16 and 17, Paul says that suffering is how we actually know we're in Christ. I mean, that's a significant thing. Hear it again. Verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You see, the thing is, we can't let Satan trick us into thinking there's something wrong when we suffer. No, this is actually the indication that you're in Christ when you're suffering through these trials. I saw a bumper sticker, sort of illustrates this truth. It said this, it says, um, if you haven't had a head-on collision with the devil, maybe it's because you're traveling in the same direction. There's actually a pretty wise bumper sticker there. See, 1 Peter 4, uh, 12 and 13 says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Why, why would Peter need to exhort us in this way? Because when we go through a fiery trial, we think it's strange. That's the temptation. The, the temptation is to go, Whoa, wait a minute, this is a strange thing that's happening. There, what, what's, what's wrong here? Peter goes on. He says, uh, you know, uh, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's to the right a couple of books. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 7. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellent, excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Verse 9, Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. Listen to verse 11. For we who live are always, doesn't say sometimes, doesn't say occasionally, doesn't say most of the time, it says always. We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. The idea here, look, God wants to do a work in you. And that work in you means he's got to kill you to do to build you up. Because you've got this old nature that just wants to destroy you. And so you have to recognize, hey, wait a minute, when God tears my flesh down, it's because he wants to build me up 
in the new man. Now, at this point, you might be saying, all right, I get it. I, I, I understand. I, I get it. I mean, you know, the, it's not really new to me. I mean, I understand no pain, no gain. Spiritually speaking, no pain, no gain. God's got to tear down the old man. He wants to build up the new man. That's fine. But you're saying in Christ there's no consternation. There's no fear or anxiety. And I can get this mentally all day long, but the fear or anxiety, how, how do I not have that? Because, because I, I mean, well, I can understand. I mean, how many are you with me? I mean, I understand intellectually, all right, God wants to tear me down. But how is it, how do I really actually practically avoid having the fear and the anxiety when he actually does it? You know, you working out with Greg, no pain, no gain. And I'm sitting on the couch eating Cheez-Its, I can understand. Oh yeah, no pain, no gain. But when I go to the gym, it's painful. Hurt me, I'm, I'm dying, you're killing me here. You know, and so, okay, I get it intellectually. How do I actually get to the place where I don't have any consternation, where, where, where I if fulfill this promise? I'm glad you asked. Back in Romans chapter 8, this is exactly what he goes on to say. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, Paul continues, he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So Paul is saying, look, look, this is, this is how you accomplish this. You, yeah, the Spirit is going to help you in your weakness. He's going to help you to pray. And moreover than that, if you, if you glance down to verse 34, tells us there at the end of that that Christ is even at the right hand of the throne of God also making intercession for us. And, and so the, the answer to this question is, well, how do I not have consternation? How do I not have fear and anxiety and dismay at these unexpected things? Well, it's, it's as I endure them, I keep mentally aware, wait a minute, God's got to tear down my flesh, and the resulting feelings of, of fear and anxiety and, and dismay that I might have to process through, well, by the power of the Holy Spirit of God, with leading me and prompting me to pray, combined with Jesus at the right hand of the throne of God, interceding for me, that combination gets me to the place where, wow, I have the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling in me, working through me, interceding for me. I have Jesus Himself interceding for me. This carries me through my trials, through my sufferings, into that sweet place where the practical outcome is, I don't have consternation. I don't have feelings of anxiety. I don't have feelings of dismay. Because I know and I trust that God is supernaturally directing the affairs of my life. Now, continuing on that thought, this is why Paul goes on to say in verse 28, and we know that in all things, God, uh, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. As I said, this doesn't mean all things are good. There's some hideous things that go on. But we can trust that God is sovereign, that, he, that he's a bigger than all the things that we can struggle through, and we can trust that he's going to use them to, to work for our good. Uh, and, and so he continues, verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn 
among many brethren. Now, just a, a side note, and I've got to touch this because we just can't let that go. That word predestined, that doesn't mean that God creates some people to go to heaven and he creates other people to go to hell. Okay, that's not what that means. God doesn't play duck, duck, damn. Okay? And so what that means is that God, he, he knows everything. He knows the end from the beginning. So what, what, if you'll notice before that, it says, whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Dude, what this is talking about is that God knows the end from the beginning. He creates us to be those people that, uh, he, that are going to follow after him, but he gives to us a free will. God doesn't force himself on you. He wants to have a loving relationship with you, but if he makes you to have that loving relationship with him, if he makes you to choose to be his child, then, then you're, you aren't in the place where your love reaction, your love response to him is a real and genuine thing. What, what if your spouse was made to be married to you and they didn't have a choice, they were forced to be your spouse? How genuine would your love relationship be? It wouldn't be. And so, so the, the, the picture here is that God creates you. Yes, he desires that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. So, so God's desire is that you would have salvation, but he gives you a free choice. Some people choose him. Some people reject him. Those people who choose him, he sovereignly knows, because he knows the end from the beginning. Who's going to choose him? So those he foreknew in that way, he predestines to be conformed into the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, and whom he justified, these he also glorified. And so here's the point. This, this, this is the big get of, of, of this message, all right? The, the whole point is that it's all about God, okay? It ain't about you. That, that's, what, that's the point that Paul's driving to here. He's saying, look, if you want to get to the place where you don't have consternation in your life, no fear, no anxiety at the, when the unexpected comes up, well, the key to that all lies in you being at the place where you've surrendered your life to the Lordship of Christ. That's what this is all about. See, salvation isn't about saying some prayer and getting our fire insurance to keep us out of hell and, and our Jesus card that we can you know, keep tucked away in our wallet. And so now Jesus becomes you know, the welcome addition to our kingdom and we keep them you know, there, that insurance policy in the glove box or you know, that spare tire in the trunk. So that I can live any way I jolly well please. And then, oh, when I get into a fix, hey, Jesus, come, you know, fix my kingdom. I was like, I didn't die to build your kingdom. I died to build my kingdom. My kingdom is a home that I'm preparing for you. So you need to make a decision. Where do you want to live? Do you want to live for you? I'll let you do it. I'll let you be in that place. But listen... You need to understand you live in a fallen world. You live in a sinful world. And the wages of sin is death. So if you're going to choose to live there by your free will to reject me, you can do it. But its end is going to be the way of death. So you're going to have things not go your way. You're going to have anxiety. You're going to have consternation. You're going to have these fears and these, these, this tumultuous thing in your life because life is not going to go your way. But if you will surrender to me, 
you will make me Lord, if you will come and be a part of my family, a welcome addition to my family, submit to me, submit to my Lordship, then when things don't go your way, you can trust in the fact that, hey, I'm a part of God's family. I'm his child. He says in his word that he knows how to give good gifts to his children. And so he's allowing this trial in my life. Yes, and this trial stinks. I don't like it. I can trust in him because he's going to bring me through this and he's going to use it to mold and shape me further into the image of his son. See, it's all about being adopted into the family of God. If I'm going to be adopted into God's family, then I have to submit to his lordship. How would it work if you were going to adopt somebody and they said, yeah, I'll take, you know, the house, I'll take the food, I'll take the everything you want to give me, but I'm not going to submit to your leadership. I want to do things the way I want to do them. Our kids try that, but we don't let them get away with us. Like, no, wait a minute, you're going to, you're going to submit. You're going to, you're going to live here. If you, how well does the family operate if the children won't submit? So we have to choose to submit. When we submit to the Lordship of Christ, then what happens is we enter into His purpose, His plan, His perfect will, and that's the place where He can conform us into the image of Christ, and that's what He wants to do. He wants to conform you into the image of Christ. But if I won't yield to Him in my suffering, then I can't be conformed into the image of Christ. Does that make sense to you guys? And so God wants to bring you to that place where you're going to go, yes, suffering, yes, trials, yes, this is hard. But if, if I want to be a child of God, if I want to be conformed into the image of Jesus, I have to know and accept that God's going to do things. He's going to allow things in my life that are unexpected. Trials to break us, hardships to throw us down, sufferings to conform us. But if I'm yielded to Him, then He's going to have free will to, to do what's good and perfect in my life. We're going to the place where in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, Paul says this, that we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Jesus Christ. Here's the thing. I want you to to get this in your head. This is like the bullseye of, of what is being conveyed here about having no consternation in Christ. See, what gets us through the trials that we face, you're going to go through trials. You're going to go through suffering. You're going to have hardship in your life. You will. But what's going to get you through that as a child of God is not the mindset that says, I need to go through this suffering so that everything will go back to normal. Because a lot of times that's what we want in our life. Can I just go through the suffering and get everything back to normal? Listen, God doesn't want to take you through sufferings and trials so that everything will get back to normal. He wants to kill normal. God wants you to bring you through the suffering and through the trial so that you'll never be the same. That's a huge truth. God wants to bring you through that suffering and trial. And so what we need to understand is that, though, am I going to yield to God or am I not? Now, I've told this story before. I'll keep it brief. But for me, as I think through this, the, the lesson, the most recent lesson for me is the, just the planting of this church. As I set out to follow the Lord, and I felt His prompting to to lay down my power, my position, my paycheck, and to go out and to, to plant this work, you know, the the reality of it started to set in. And so now I've got 3 o'clock in the morning syndrome where I'm not sleeping and I'm stressing out, and I'm thinking, I'm going to lose everything. 
And, I, and I'm telling Brenda, you know what? <laughs> no, we're not doing any work in the backyard because this house, <laughs> I'm probably going to lose this sucker, you know? So, and, and, I st- and I'm stressing and I'm worried and I, and I can remember the precise place where I was when God all of a sudden, just light bulb moment, moment me and him, and God said, hey, uh, did I call you to do this? Yeah, Lord, you did. All right, so, so you're, doing, you're in the center of my will, right? Yes? You're my child, right? Yes? All right, so what if, what if I do take everything? What if you lose everything? What if you, like, all you're left with is the clothes on your back? What then, Ted? I'm like, whoa. Huge burden all of a sudden lifted off where all of a sudden now I wasn't trying to get through the trial and the ordeal to get back to normal, but what I recognized was that, hey, God, well, God wants to bring me through all this, and, and if the, the truth of where he's bringing me means that he takes everything from me, hey, well, he promises in his word that, that he's not going to give me more than I can handle. He promises in his word that he knows how to give good gifts to his children. So really, what is it that I'm trusting him? Am I building my kingdom? Do I want to build my thing, or do I, do I want to build the kingdom of God? Do I want to be in his house? Do I want to dwell in his presence. And so it was just this huge lifting moment where I recognized, well, wait a minute. There's no consternation. There's no feelings of anxiety or dismay at the unexpected because I'm on a venture of faith with God. I pray this is what they ride on my tombstone. He took a venture of faith with God. Because I, I just tell you guys, this, the, the safe life, I ain't interested I don't want to be a guy that just lives his life trying to hold on to stuff. I'd rather just be on a radical venture of faith and, and just going wherever that leads. Just lead. Isn't that more exciting? Just to go, hey God, you know what? I'm going to take you at your word and wherever that leads me, that's good enough for me. Because what happens every time you do that, what you find out is that he does know how to give good gifts to his children. So, and, and I, can, I can face... The illness, I can face the financial, whatever it is, I can face it because I go, you know what, Satan wants to kill me, he wants to destroy me, he wants to ruin me, but God, you want what's best for me. I can trust you, I can take you at your word. So this is the place where God's leading us. And once we understand and once we accept this, once we enter into that place, then we can say like Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Jesus Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live, I live in the flesh. I live in the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says in verse 31, he says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all? All things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us. Right now, in the trial, the place where you're at. Suffering, Jesus is praying for you. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep 
for the slaughter, yet in all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So in Christ there is no consternation. I don't have to have fear or anxiety. And finally, in Christ there is no separation. And to illustrate this point, I just close with where I start telling you about Jackie. Because Jackie's greatest fear as we sat there, as we talked, she had two competing fears, and they were both the same thing. Fear of separation. She was fearful of being separated from her kids. And she was fearful of being separated from God when she died. And go and stand before her. And put yourself in Jackie's shoes. And I'm there and I'm able to talk to her and and on that morning, just, you know, the diagnosis, less than an hour old, and I'm talking to her and I see the look written all over her face and her anxiety and she's looking at her little children and she's wondering, and as a mom, who's going to raise my kids? And I said to her, Jackie, you're worried about being separated from those kids. But the truth of the word is that you will be reunited with them in heaven and moreover, your concern for them. Who's going to raise them? Who's going to care for them? Who's going to love them? Jesus is going to love them. Jesus made your children. He loves your children. And in the weeks that come, I addressed her other great concern. We know this. We understand this concern. I mean, if I told you today you got weeks to live, wouldn't you be like a little nervous about standing before the Lord? Wouldn't you kind of be doing a personal inventory? Is he going to say to me, depart from me, I never knew you? And think about that. And this is her concern. Am I ready to go meet the Lord? And so again, just ministering to her from Romans chapter 8 and explaining to her, listen, you know, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And because of what Christ has done for you, not because you're good enough, not because your good works outweigh your bad works, not because, you know, you've done any sort of thing and, or, or earned some sort of right standing with God, but because what Jesus has done, you will surrender your life to Him and say, I believe that you're the Christ, that you're the Son of the living God. And I'm asking you to have mercy on me, a sinner, and come in and save me. And if you say that, if you mean that, then you will not be separated from God. He will never leave you. And he'll never forsake you. And the last time I saw her, I sat there in her hospital room. She's now at Loma Linda in the ICU. She's moments away from death. And I'm holding her hand. And I read her these words. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, Jackie shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And she closed her eyes. 
And she squeezed my hand. And the tear rolled down her cheek. She drifted off to sleep. She entered into the presence of God. What are you struggling with today? In Jesus, our past is forgiven. There is no condemnation in Christ. In Jesus, our our present is settled. There's no consternation for those who are in Christ. And in Jesus Christ, our future is secure. There's no separation for those who are in Christ.